0: Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your hosts, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Hello friends, welcome back to Daybreak Devotions, your source for comfort, hope, joy, peace, rays of sunshine, and an otherwise
1: dark world. When you put it that way, who on earth would not want to tune in every single day to joy, warmth and rays of sunshine?
0: Only those who have been lost to the darkness. Ah. And we welcome you to this Thursday edition. By the way, that intro was Thursday's treasure trove. That was my gift. That was my gift to the listener.
1: That right there was your bountiful booty of blessings for yes, the day.
0: Yes. And so now we roll on into the cold, hard facts of life. Ah, uh, we're so glad to have you with us here on Daybreak Devotions. So we're glad you joined us today. We're in the middle of a discussion on Reformation. I have learned a lot from you that when I say the word reform, reformed, or Reformation, it, it causes some angst with people.
1: It's a trigger word. It's a trigger word not like triggered as we use it like in the political term where people just get blind with anger and irrational, but it, it definitely raises some, er, where's he going with this? What's what's he getting ready to say? I guess maybe we should clear the air. Yeah, it would be good. So
0: I'm going to use these phrases in terms, and I just want to be clear. I, I don't have an affiliation with anybody. I mean, in terms of groups, camps, that kind of stuff. But I understand there are Reformed churches. Mm-hmm. There are Reformed Baptists. There's like officially that's a thing. So, McLeansville Baptist Church is not a Reformed church, okay, in any official capacity. There are certain doctrinal things that come with Reformed churches. We do not um, claim to adhere or align to anything. Number one, because I don't really know what they adhere or align to. I only know. That I believe, what I ended with yesterday, one of the reasons it's important for us to talk about Reformation, because we just had the Reformation Day, is because we are not just a reformed church, big picture, but we need to always be a reforming church. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're talking about. There is a need for the church to constantly be reforming. Now, if you don't like that word, I've got a Bible word that means basically the same thing, Okay, renew.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, that word's not used a lot in Scripture as far as like the English word, but the verses where it is used are extremely powerful. We've already, I think yesterday we we got Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, be not conformed to this world. Now, if you just stop right there, that's your basis for talking about reformation in the church. The concern is that the church takes on too much of an identity with the world. Now, You've got to stop right there and say, what is the world? Because I remember as a boy, literally, I remember as a boy when uh, in between Sunday school and the morning service, there were men in the church that went out on the front patio and smoked cigarettes. Yeah. Now, if you ask me, is that the world? Well, I could make a case that that's worldly, but I could also make a case that that's not necessarily the world. That's a symptom of the world. See, I think one of the big problems we have is we don't really understand what the world is, that the world is a system of ideas, a system of philosophy, a system of capabilities that are, in their nature, anti-God. They are built around providing you a way to live your life with no need for God. That's the world. Mm -hmm. So how does that manifest itself? Does it manifest itself in dancing? It could, but... You and I were out cutting the rug last night, and I didn't feel like I was part of the world. That's a joke. We weren't. But could we have been? I mean, let's just come on, people. Let's stop making issues out of things. Let's deal with the real issue here. When we are in the world, it will manifest itself sometimes in the way we do church. Yeah. And that's what Paul's calling out here. Or it's one of the many things Paul's calling out.
1: It's a... We, we I'm with you because we spend so much time looking at the actions. Like So even last night, I, I ran up When town, you were out cutting the rug? Yeah, when I was out cutting a rug. <laughs> I ran uptown to pick up something for Charity and I, and literally I walked in the door, and this huge crowd, probably about eight to ten teenagers, walked in like right smack in front of me, and the one set of adults that was with them. And we're all there like waiting to try to put our order in, and I'm sitting here watching, and... There's no order. There's no, like, hey, guys, we need to get our order together because there's other people in this establishment other than just us. Like, they're living in their own little world and then stragglers one at a time popping up an order. And I'm just standing here watching. I'm like, this is, this is the world. This is we all live in our own little chaos. Yes. Individualism. And no thought or concern for anybody else because... Everybody is just here to serve me. Everybody is here for my benefit and pleasure.
0: It's self-serving. Yes. And so here's you a good illustration of the world. Every time you walk into Walmart, you are engaging into the world. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, here's what I mean by that. You go into Walmart right now. Walmart, forgive me, sue me, whatever, but it's true. I could name any store. I mean, but where we live, Walmart's like the place everybody goes, right? So, But you can go in any department store. Let's just say that. And when you walk in, you're going to be met with every offer under the sun to appease your flesh, Mm -hmm. yourself, okay? So you've got all the little goodies packaged and displayed right there to tempt your flesh. You've got all the clothing items that you could want at prices you can afford so you can pound your closet and drawers full of them, right? Because you obviously don't have enough clothes at home. You need to buy more. Up on the aisles where you check out, you've got all the candy and all the sweets and treats and all the eye-catching stuff. And oh, by the way, sign up for this credit card and get your, you know, fifty percent off your order today. Why? What is all of that? It is a system designed to create within you this this belief that you can make life happen pretty well on your own. Yep. It is the it is the work of Satan. Satan has always been behind it. It's been from the Garden of Eden to the wilderness temptation of Jesus to where we are at today. What does the world offer us? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, now, that was a long part of just Romans 12, the first phrase, be not conformed to this world. Then he goes on to say, but be ye transformed. We are supposed to be becoming the kind of people that are the exact opposite of everything we just described. Are you saying we shouldn't go shopping at Walmart? No, I'm saying when you go to Walmart, you don't have to go over there and grab stuff you don't need and give in to the desires and lust of your flesh. You don't have to sign up for another credit card so that just in case you don't have enough money, you can buy more stuff that you don't need, right? No, you go to Walmart as a follower of Jesus. You get what you need, what's essential. You live with God as... God and Jesus as the ruler, king of your life, you live within the realm of the kingdom life from your whole heart, following Jesus. Okay. You don't give into the world now. Now we're to the reformation because Paul says to do this, you've got to be renewed in your mind. How do we get transformed? By the renewing of your mind. And what is the point of it all? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. So we need the renewing of our mind. Where does that renewal come from? Obviously, the Word of God is indispensable. I go to Psalm 119 a lot lately because I've been slowly working through it, but Psalm 119 this morning for me, uh, I read, I think, verse 89 through 104. There's two sections there back to back, and it just struck me at how I need my life filled with the Word of God. And I know what happens when I say that. If you say that from the pulpit or say that on the radio program, whatever, people say, yep, 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 that's true. We need our life filled with the Word. But what does that mean? And are we in any tangible way doing that? Like, How much Scripture have you read today? How much Scripture have you meditated on today? How much Scripture have you talked with someone about today? If we're not doing those things, we are not filling our life with the mm-hmm. Word of God. Paul said in Colossians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, we fill ourselves with Bible, but not just to say we filled ourselves with Bible, because Paul also gives us another part of this renewal in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. So he says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, I don't want to just lift something out of context, but I think you'll understand why it's very clear. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So what I want to add in there. Again, grace and effort meeting together. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost comes into what we genuinely do from our heart seeking God, and he blesses that, and he causes the renewal to happen. And that's what we need. So when we talk about the need for ongoing reformation in the church, there's two aspects of that. But the first one is I personally need it. I mean, look back over your Christian life, okay? In the last five years, let's make it easier. Look over the last year. Has there been any real, tangible indication of real change in, in progress towards Christ likeness? Can you actually identify that? Could you speak to, man, over the last year, here's where I have grown. Praise God for it. It's, it's his grace doing it. But man, I've desired this. I've sought it. God's blessed and met me there and I feel so much stronger in this area and I think what comes with that is this awareness of how much weak, how much weakness there is in so many other areas, but yeah. it just comes with it. It's the development of the Christ-like mind. I was reading and I am reading again in Renovation of the Heart. This is a powerful paragraph. This comes from the first chapter. This is by Dallas Willard. He speaks about how God is still moving. In other words, God didn't stop moving back in 19-whatever. The quest for spiritual formation, really as indicated, spiritual transformation, is in fact an age-old and worldwide one. It is rooted in the deep personal and even biological need for goodness that haunts humanity. It has taken many forms and has now resurfaced at the beginning of the 21st century to meet our present situation. This is, I am sure part of an incoming tide of God's life that would lift our lives today for our voyage into eternity. Our hearts cry out, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. What he is saying there, and in terms of thinking about what kind of reformation do we need, personally and as a church, corporately, what he's describing right there is that it's as if God is doing something in this time Because this is the introduction to his book about renovation of the heart and that there is this great movement towards spiritual formation in the church now, the understanding that that is a real thing that for a long time was lost. We just operated in the realm of doctrine, getting our theology right, as long as we had the right facts and believed the right things. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't permeating the life. It wasn't transforming us. So transform, right? That's part of the reform of it. It's the same uh, word there. And he's saying that it's as if God in this era that we're in is bringing in this new wave of his life that would lift us out, up and out, and prepare us for our voyage into eternity. I mean, was God doing that in the 1700s? Yeah, I'm sure he was, the 1800s. It does feel like, though, at least for our generation and maybe the generation or two before us, that we've not had a good, real, strong move of God in that way. It's been pockets here and there.
1: Yeah, is it? Well, I mean, this might be a rhetorical question, but maybe one of the reasons that it hasn't been as noticeable in the 16 and 1700s is because you didn't have quite the con- you didn't have quite the contention of people that were supposed to be followers of God that were playing both sides against the middle. Like, I know that you've always had religion. You've always had mainline, quote unquote, Christianity, where there's been people that have been playing the game and profiting from the system. But perhaps, like, small town USA, for instance, the people that went and were following God, there wasn't, maybe our churches weren't quite as filled with people that were content to say the right things, speak the right things, but there was more of a seriousness built in. And so the Reformation was kind of already taking place, and it wasn't so much of a dramatic, wow, how on earth have we gotten into the shape that we are in right now? We need now drastic change.
0: Well, the numbers prove that from that survey that was done by Barna, that 20, in, in the year 2000, 45% of Americans qualified as what they called practicing Christians, mm-hmm. whereas as of 2022 only 25% of americans qualify that is a 20% decline over 20 years 1% a year yep okay you, you you hear that and you don't think much about it but just think for 1 minute if that trend continues another decade just dare to let your mind dear listener go there say well this is such negativity and such such well I want to counter the negativity a little bit. That trend will end at some point. Sure. It will bottom out. Why? Because there there is a group of true Christ followers in this country. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of people that truly love Jesus in this country. And I mean, we're just talking about our country. I mean, our country's not the only one, but I'm saying as far as that's where the numbers come from. So it's not like 20 years from now we're going to wake up and we're down to only 5% of the people truly follow Jesus, Okay. I don't think it's that. I think Jesus comes before then. I think that's your good news, right? But here's the thing that we have to think about. If we do not reform, if we do not let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God renew our minds so that we're following, stay in the course with Jesus, where God is working and moving in our time, our churches die.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have fringe Christians who will be gone. We have people that right now are serving in our church who five years from now, Maybe sitting at home on Sunday, you know, just binge watching Netflix yep. or whatever the new thing is by that time. Now, that should matter. That right there is what drives so much of what I do on a regular basis. And, you know, full confession, we have this conversation some t- somewhat regularly. It's difficult for me to learn the balance in how do I guide people versus push people mm-hmm. because it really.
1: I look at it and I say, man, come on, everybody. we got to get right. We can't play games. Yeah, because not only are we dealing with the the fringe, but, I mean, we have another generation that's, that's coming up that's going to—they are going to make that choice. Yes. And we can stick our head in the sands and say, uh, you know, kids these days, you just can't teach them nothing. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that God has given me— as a father, the exact same responsibility and authority and opportunity that every father who has ever lived all the way back since Adam has had, it's no more difficult for me now than it was, like, like, the responsibility is still the same. So if previous generations' children could be taught, there's no excuse why I can't teach my generation unless of course, I'm taking the easy way out and just refusing to acknowledge and refusing to change in my own life and just taking the cop out of, well, it's just how things are today. What are you going to do? I think the problem is not that the g- g- new
0: generation cannot learn. I think they've learned plenty. Yeah. I think each, each generation has learned a lot from the previous. And that's why we've had this continual descent downward. Yeah. We have to break that cycle. Uh, sometimes it feels like, Elijah, I'm the only one. Like, you know, we may feel that way, and we know we're not. We know there are others out here that are saying the same things we're saying. But even with all those we know about, it feels like we're just like this small, little, tiny voice in the middle of this great, big, crazy wilderness of the world called church saying, We've got to stop this. We've got to change. This is what Luther was doing. You know, we talked about it yesterday. He didn't come in to make a big stink. He just started with, hey, I got some questions about this. Can yeah. we look at what we're doing and see if it doesn't need to be changed? And that's what we're asking. But the window for that is it seems to be rapidly closing. It seems to be that we're moving toward a people that are making the decision. No, we're fine. We, we want to be where we are. We're not changing. We're not doing anything different. And then you start throwing rocks at those who say, okay, well, you've made your choice but I can't stay in that. I'm out. I want to go where there is a genuine pursuit of life with Jesus in the kingdom of God, where I am partnering with God in this transformation. So I'm not waiting until I get to heaven to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm not waiting until I get to heaven to really know what it means to be born again. I mean, I want to know now. I want to live in that now. I want to be able to be the kind of person that can live like Jesus lived in I mean, me as me, but live like Jesus did to have that kind of communion with the Father that my prayers are, I mean, I'm getting daily guidance. Like, I am doing, saying, going, being exactly what the Father wants me to be because I've grown in my walk with him. I I don't want to be content to just say, man, I'm saved. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be content for this. What's the big deal? I'm saved. I'm living a pretty good life. My family's healthy, my children are happy. Why why so serious? You see, that's called the world. That's called the American dream. That's called idle church, where you sit upon the throne and dictate what right looks like. And you're content there. And you're cheating yourself and you're 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 robbing God. Let's go to Malachi, yeah. right?
1: Sounds an awful lot too, like the whole book of Judges. Man, you know, did I go on a rant? You did a little bit, but it's okay. Okay. Because, you know, Israel was given the command, drive the people out of the land. Be active. Do something. I've, I've given you victory. Go. Israel got content, so they got polluted by the nations of the world all around them. And what happened? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and it was just a perpetual cycle of bondage and captivity and slavery and then a brief period of deliverance, and then right back into it again. Why? Because eventually they got comfortable again, and, now yeah, what's the big deal? Why are we so serious? Why Why can't—listen, I'll do me, you do you, and we'll all just get along. And they became easy targets and easy prey for the enemy. And We've got churches that are doing the same thing.
0: I wish I had the words that would kickstart the understanding in people's minds of why it actually matters. Like, why it's not enough to just say, I go to church regularly, like, I'm here. Hey, preacher, I'm here. Why are you talking to me like I'm not? Because when you're not here, what does it look like? When you're not here, where, what role does Jesus play in your daily life, your hourly life? That's why it matters. Mm-hmm. Because that's not abundant life, and that's not that's not Jesus. So it, I think it's worth asking, is it real? Do I have Christianity or do I have Christ? Yeah. It's still a question that we need to pose. Well, that's a reformation type question. I mean, I still have the copy of the 95 theses right there, which basically predominantly were around two things. And 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 the whole 95 theses was just giving out points of discussion about those two things and, and it was really comes back to the fact as of salvation by faith through grace alone by Jesus, right? That's what the Bible says, and we're going to go with what the Bible says, not what our tradition says. And again, you can hear it. People throw up the defense and say, yeah, we agree with that. What's the big deal? We believe that. We believe something when we act like it's true. We live like it's actually true. So show me your faith by your works. Ezekiel 36. Let me throw this out. Old Testament. Ezekiel 36. Listen to these verses, verse 25 through 28. This is a promise from God. Again, I'm lifting it out of some context. It's to Israel, but it's a very applicable thing. It is explained in the New Testament. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh." And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. In other words, there's going to be a complete transformation in your life. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, I'm concerned with the belief and the teaching that seems to have the idea that that re- regeneration is a one-time thing that happens. You believe you ask Jesus into your heart, bam, it's done. I'm saved. I'm saved. What what more do you want? Mm -hmm. I've been saved. I've asked Jesus to save me. And we read even verses like that, and we read verses in Romans, and we say, I've done that. What more is there? Here's what it is. Here's what more there is. The Bible says, God says, I will take away the stony heart. That phrase, take away, is literally the word that means to turn off. Think about that. God says, I'm going to turn off that old heart in you. Now let me ask you a question, dear listener. You asked Jesus to save you, and you meant it. Did you? Did Jesus save you? Yes. The best. If you meant it, you truly called upon the Lord, and out of a, a heart of faith, He saved you. But let me ask you a question: did That old heart really is it gone? You don't have any trouble with the flesh anymore. Okay. So see, we all know that. Mm-hmm. We don't. Why are we arguing? Why? Why is it a problem for for us to say? This isn't a one-and-done thing. we got to keep meeting God in the grace that he's offering us. God says, I'm going to turn that heart off. This is a, a process. This is something over time. Why? Because you resist it. Your old flesh resists that. The one that salt the filthiness and the idols, that heart, the one that still works within you trying to pull away, that heart, God says, I'm going to turn that off. That heart is the stony heart. That means it's hard and it's heavy. Okay. Then he says, I will give you a heart of flesh. The word give you or the phrase give you is the word Nathan. It means literally, I'm gonna give it, deliver it, and set it up. Now that's my kind of do, doing right there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And that's that's the full that's the full extent of what that, that word means. God says, in other words, this new heart of flesh, meaning the heart that I've intended for you, the genuine kind of heart that God wants you to have. Um, that heart, God says, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you, I'm gonna deliver it. I'm going to bring it into your being, your soul, and I am going to set that thing up. I'm going to, you know, like if I, you know me, I mean, if I'm going to do technology, I got to have somebody bring it, set it up, and then they're going to come in. They're going to put all the programming in it. They're going to get the systems running. They're going to make sure everything's operating properly, right? That's a process of things happening, right? There's a great imagery in there, and God is saying, I'm going to, now that heart's perfect from the get-go. That heart is, but you don't know how to live out of it. See, that's the thing. It's there, but you got to learn how to live from it. That's the ongoing process of being reformed, reformatted, reset, reconfigured, realigned. The old heart's getting turned off, the new heart's getting set up, and this is all happening at the same time. And if your work, if God's at work in your life, you're living after 20 years far more from that new good heart and far less from that old heart, although it's still there. And that tension still exists. Now, That new heart is where the Spirit comes in us and transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. We need to uh, talk more about this. We didn't even get to... I've I've got a question. I wrote this down on a little piece of paper. Who are the false teachers? Hmm. The Bible warns about this. Paul and Timothy and Titus. Jude does it. Peter does it. They're warning us about the false teachers, especially in the last days. I think it's... a it's, in, it's a good question to look around and say, who are these people? Because if we start naming all the obvious answers, the people that we know are like, if you start naming the cults, I got that. That's not the threat. Right. I'm not threatened by a cult. These false teachers are always identified as coming into the true church and leading people astray. So we got to figure out who they are. Another issue I think is important is we've got to avoid the pendulum swing. In a Reformation you don't go from, well, this is all bad and needs to change, to swinging way over the other direction to where you're just focusing on certain things and forgetting that the, no, yeah. you're actually not living true to the Bible any more than when the pendulum was on the other side. Exactly. Those are real things worth talking about. Whether we'll get to them or not, who knows. But the stay treasure tuned. trove's still open.
1: That's right. Have you wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion@gmail.com. At